read together to remind us of where we are going, that is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish his kingdom through his people who participate in loyal allegiance in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. Welcome, glad you're with us. If you have a copy of scripture, join me in Matthew chapter 7. If uh, you want to go digital like I am today, you can uh, snag uh, your phone and snap a picture of the QR code on the screen. It'll take you to a spot on our website, which will allow you to follow along with all the verses, even take some of your own notes and email them back to yourselves. I think taking notes is a great way to reiterate what you learn and remind yourself of it later. Uh, life seems to be a bit of an open book test, doesn't it? And uh, God wants to help you thrive in that. I'm not saying that like if you don't take notes, you're not going to heaven or I'm just saying why take the chance? You know, like somewhere, you got to measure, measure that out. It's going to be great. Hey, um, while you're getting to Matthew 7, a couple things. One, like this Wednesday, we are doing and kicking off summer school. We've got two different courses for you. Child care is available as well. If you haven't signed up for one of these courses, Wednesday nights, the next five weeks, uh, get signed up. It starts this Wednesday. It's going to be really, I think, helpful for us as we gain understanding and learn and grow in Jesus. Here we go. The King Jesus Gospel, episode 13. Jesus is in Matthew. We're in Matthew 7. Jesus is finishing his Sermon on the Mount. This is what the scripture says. Do not judge others. Somebody say not. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the same standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey friend, let me help you rid that speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! Oh, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will soon see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They're just going to trample the pearls and probably turn around and attack you. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks is going to find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Jesus is summarizing, hey, everything that we've talked about so far, everything in the Old Testament, the prophecies, all of it is kind of linked into this idea, folks. If you're going to live a flourishing life, if you're going to participate in the kingdom of God, if, if we're going to really live out and embrace a King Jesus gospel, it boils down to this idea of doing to others what you want them to do to you. It's the essence of all that has been taught and will be taught. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to see clearly. 
to hear what you're saying, to accept it, and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2007, there was a book by um, someone who came out entitled Unchristian. I, I read it back in, in 2007, and basically, uh, uh, Dave Kinnaman is the author, and, and he's the president of a research company, Christian research company called the Barna Research Group. And Barna puts together all these studies and collects data and just kind of gives a great example of learning and kind of figuring out where are we at in culture, what are people thinking, where, what's going on, and gets the data to help us interpret some of those things, some of those moments. And in 2007, they released a book with some findings where they previewed and talked to uh, young 18 through 29-year-olds, um, those who had who go to church, those who never went to church, um, and, and to try to understand what is happening in their mind and their hearts, because young people were kind of walking away and quitting on church and leaving uh, the faith a little bit, and we were trying to, they were trying to research and figure out, well, what's, what is it that's making them do this? What is it that kind of makes them look at Christians and decide to become unchristian themselves or looks at people who are in the faith and think, man, they are unchristian. That's not the same Christ that I read about in scripture. What's happening here? And in their research, they discovered among this young group of people, those outside uh, the church and faith and following God and those who go to church, that two of the top three um, words used to describe kind of this faith that they would say this is the unchristian thing. Two of those words were judgmental and hypocritical. 91% of those outside the faith and 80% of those who went to church, you said judgmental. That's a way I would define them. Another group said 87% of them uh, outside the faith and 52% of those in the church who attended church on the regular said hypocritical is how they would describe it. Now, when we say judgmental, here's what we mean. Looking down at others with a moral arrogance. When we say hypocritical, we're talking about not living up to moral standards that you arrogantly condemn others for. The hypocrisy. Saying one thing, living another. Saying, believing one thing, living something together. Now, to be fair, none of us wants to be treated unfairly. None of us want to be judgmental. None of us really want to be viewed as hypocritical. None of us want to be viewed through an incorrect or an unflattering assumptions about us. None of us want that for ourselves. But we have a natural tendency as humans, don't we? We have a natural tendency, whether Christian or non-Christian, I think in our humanity, in our fallen state, in our un unlike Jesus reality, we have a natural tendency to judge other people based on the worst possible interpretation of their actions and we judge ourselves based on the most gracious intentions and the interpretation of our intentions. We look at other people and they did something. We're like, man, they did it on purpose. They did it because of this and they're evil and they're wrong and they're just of the devil. That's why they did it. And then somebody points out to you, well, that's not why I did it. You, you don't know my heart. That's not what I meant when I did that. And we're expecting to be judged in our own best intentions while at the same time ignoring people's attentions, making untrue assumptions about their intentions and just judging them surely, purely based on the most evil possible potential reason for their actions. And the problem when we do that is that many of us are left in a place, and maybe you experience some of this in your own life, your own upbringing, your own church background perhaps, where it was so judgmental and so uh, critical and it seems so hypocritical that you're like, I'm out. I don't want to be around this anymore. Maybe there were people in your relation that you had, in, maybe a neighbor or an aunt or a family member, and somebody treated you, and you were mistreated in this way, and you're like, nah, I don't, I don't want nothing to do with that. And we read things like, man, don't be a hypocrite, don't believe one thing and do another, and, and we say things to justify it. Well, we're all sinners. And rather than actually admitting the real thing that we did, instead of actually making a change, we just rationalize it away and be like, yeah, well, God knows my heart. 
They don't ever actually, actually change. We just keep misusing the grace of God. Friends, when we come to a realization that something has been cor- incorrectly used, the answer is not to no longer use it. To, to no- In other words, when we recognize that there are some people who judge incorrectly and use judgment and it's wrong, that doesn't mean we throw it away entirely. It just means that the remedy is actually proper use. It, it, it's living a Christian life in the proper way. Not throwing away Christianity altogether and saying, it's no good, I'm out. I'm, I'm done with these things. I'm done with this way of living. I'm, I'm not even going to try anymore. That's not the proper response. The proper response is to figure out, well, what's the right way to do this? And we begin to do it that way. It's learning to live in the way of Jesus See, the King Jesus gospel is understood when we realize that Jesus is the king. If we're going to walk in the King Jesus gospel, if we're going to walk and be followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus is king, and I'm going to take it one step further. He's the righteous judge, which means you're neither the king nor the right judge. See, if we're going to live this way, we need to recognize that being a part of the kingdom of God and being people who follow God and being a part of the community of God, it means that we need to make a decision to treat others the way that, that they themselves would want to be treated or that we themselves want to be treated by others and the king. Are you treating other people the way you want Jesus to treat you? Is a great question to examine your own heart with. Are we, are we looking at people and talking about people and thinking about people the way that we ourselves would want to be talked about? Well, some of you are sitting there, well, I, I mean, come on. People are doing wrong. They need to be told that they're wrong. And I would want somebody to point out that I'm doing, doing something wrong. I mean, if, if the house was burning, I would want somebody to yell and tell me to get out of the house. Well, yeah, probably. But your house isn't burning. It's someone's life. It's different. A lot of times, I think that um, we, we, we do this in our, in our marriage. I, 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 I say, I, we, I have done this in my marriage. Let me make confession to us today. That I have a tendency to love my wife the way I want to be loved. But her love language is a little bit different than my love language. She finds things valuable that communicate adoration and my affection to her differently than maybe how I would want that to come. And if I only treat her with love the way I would want to be treated with love, then aren't I really just manipulating her to do what I want her to do instead of actually loving her for her? When we start loving other people the way that God, that we would want God to love us, when we start loving people the other way, uh, in the way that allows them to feel and know the love, then I think we're onto something in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is drawing some clear, clear distinctions for us as it relates to our interpretation and use of morality, of our, of our use of living a holy life. Jesus does not want us acting with moral arrogance towards other people, nor does he want us acting morally ignorant of our own heart. And this is what Jesus is coming for today. And so he uses this word, do not judge. This, this word judge, let's talk about judgment for a minute. Judgment in the Greek comes from, in the root word is the word krino, K-R-I-N-O, krino. And, and the Greek word krino simply means this, to decide something. To decide something. How many of you have to make decisions every day? Show of hands, come on. All part, uh, if you have to make, yep, you are making, you are making judgments every day. Crino. That's not the word that Jesus uses here, though. Jesus uses a different compound word in the Greek, and part of the compound word is the word krima, K-R-I-M-A, in the Greek, which means to decide with condemnation or sentencing. To make a decision and then attach a sentence of judgment or condemnation about a person, about their life, about who they are and how they should be, we're adding to the decision. So here's what Jesus isn't saying, though. Jesus isn't saying that you should not, uh, that it's wrong for the people of God to be judges in a court of law. That's not what he's saying. Why? Why? Because judges are people not who make their own law, 
but who recognize a standard of the law and use that standard of the law to interpret and and look at the actions of other people and say whether their actions were in alignment with the law or if their actions are now out of alignment with the law. Jesus is fine with that. Because there's a standard that is being used in civilization and life to which we are participants in a civilized place. That's okay. Some pre-written, agreed upon things. That's good. That's good. That's fine. That's fine. What happens though that Jesus is condemning and, and rebuking and kind of cautioning us is that we would use our own standard or perhaps even the standard of God's law in a way that would authoritatively sentence someone or condemn someone why is that not okay because it's not your law it's God's you're not the authority of God's law there's only one judge of God's law and you ain't it but God is James the brother of Jesus in his in his book in the New Testament James uh, says this he carries on the thought he says this don't speak evil against each other dear brothers and sisters if you criticize and judge each other then you are criticizing and judging God's law he's attaching another word to this judgment he's clarifying the kind of judgment he's talking about but but your job is to obey the law not to judge whether it applies to you your job and my job when it comes to the morality listed in Scripture, it's not to decide whether or not we think it's moral or not, if it applies to us or not. Our job as people who are living in the kingdom of God to say, if we understand what God is saying accurately, our job is to obey it, not point out when others don't obey it. He says, your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge he alone has the power to save or to destroy so what right do you have to judge your neighbor here's what James is kind of expounding on what Jesus taught us in Matthew 7 James again is not saying your job is to correctly articulate pontificate and publicize whether someone else is right or wrong Whether they're right or whether they're wrong is immaterial to the appropriate response and interpretation of what is going on. It's not that you need to determine whether they are right and you are wrong. It is that you must decide, crino, how you should live when you correctly understand the morality that is found in God's word. How should you live and think and move and find your being? How should you make decisions in your life? How should you live according to God's laws? How should you live as somebody trying to follow the way of Jesus? You've got to look and see, not look around at other people. You've got to look at yourself, take a look at the mirror and realize something that is true. That is what God's word does to us. It helps us realize and see the reality of who we are so that we can then decide if we're going to follow the ways of God or follow in our own ways. This isn't, James isn't trying to get us to to point out other people's actions. He's trying to get us to point out our intentions and our actions so that we can come under the kingdom of God. It's, It's not that we look around and say, this person is so manipulated. They're manipulating you. They're manipulating you, which is what you're doing too trying to convince somebody else that you're right and they're wrong. And we get in ourselves where we're trying to fix this and do this and and, and control this outcome. And and listen, God's like, uh, hey, knock, knock. Can we talk about your heart for a second? Can we talk about your your, your life? What, What ends up happening is we sit there and we perceive what's going on in this world. And we look at other people maybe that are in our relationship, even in our family, maybe in our community. We're looking at it and we're like, what they're doing is not right. It is morally wrong. It's not of God. It's not of right. And we're sitting here and then we look at God. God, can you believe that they're doing that? Aren't they so wrong for doing that? And God's like standing there like, I'm sorry. I think you're in the wrong seat. And you go sit over there with them because you're not sitting 
in the seat of judgment. God is sitting in the seat of judgment. And what, we, what, what James is trying to say is what we end up do is we come in and we begin to fill assumptions about what they did and how they did it. We make assumptions about their character. We begin to categorize it. And then we advertise it to other people. And we advertise it around what we think they did and why they did it. The Bible calls that slander and gossip. Let me, this is low-hanging fruit, but it's a really clear picture in our world today. Let's just for a minute imagine together that there was somebody, we'll say in public office, whom you perhaps did not vote for, and you are not particularly pleased with the economic realities that are being created under the decisions through which they are helping to lead and navigate. For example, let's imagine this. It may not be relatable to you, but let's just put on our thinking caps for a minute. And you're seeing and you're trying to decide, Crino, are these decisions good or are these decisions producing bad results? And we look and we decide what's okay is to look and decide and say, yeah, those aren't good decisions. I think we need to make some different decisions. How can I make some different decisions? That's, that's good judgment. It's not crossing a line. But that's not what we do, is it? We look, we make decisions, like those decisions are terrible. It's awful. And then we begin to fill in the assumptions. And I bet they're doing it because they're greedy, because they're this, they're that. And we begin to fill in the assumptions as to why they're doing it and the, and the motivations of their heart and how it's impacting everything. And I know they're trying to do this and I can see this and I'm doing this and I'm guaranteeing that they're doing this as if you're God and have the crystal ball to see exactly into the heart of mankind. But you're looking at it and you're not seeing it. And then you publicize what you think is true, your judgment and now assumptions trying to condemn a person. The Bible calls that slander and gossip and what we do is now heap judgment because with the same measure that we're using to dish out our judgments it's going to be dished right back to us we do it with political leaders we do it with our bosses we do it with family members we do it do I need to keep going and Jesus is saying um, that's not the way of the kingdom don't judge don't, don't cross that line in your heart. It's one thing to make a decision. It's another thing to move from making a decision to crema, making a decision, an assumption, and now condemn. Now you're moving into the realm where God alone is supposed to be sitting, and not you. See, the problem is that um, the reason we're not supposed to do that is because we have impaired judgments. In our world, we're not supposed, here, here in America, there's a certain amount of alcohol that's allowed to be in your system. Um, and once you cross over a certain point, you're not allowed to drive. Why? Because if you're driving with too much alcohol in your system, it does something to your decision-making ability. It impairs your judgment. Certain prescription drugs you're not supposed to take and then operate heavy, heavy machinery. Right? Why? Because it impairs your ability to react appropriately in the right amount of time. And you can do a lot of damage with your impaired judgments. Other people grew up in a different environment than you grew up in. And you're only thinking about your environment, not understanding their environment. So you're making judgments about their life, their actions, and assuming things about their heart and posture of life based on your reality. But you've never walked a mile in their shoes and you don't understand their reality. You have impaired judgments. That's why Jesus takes it a step further and doesn't just talk about this this judgment, this sentencing, this condemning, he takes it a step further and he actually addresses our hypocrisy. Because there's some things that you are impaired and have the inability to see correctly. Your judgment is impaired and sometimes your judgment is impaired because you are still in the wrong. Because your heart hasn't been changed by God. Because you're looking at somebody else trying to get the little speck and you've got something massive in your eye. You're trying to help someone see correctly, but you yourself 
have the inability to correctly see what is going on. And so you're walking around pointing out, I can't believe that you thought that. Here, let me help you, Connor. You need, hold on, let me, you're, you're not supposed to wear a hat in church. Let me, let me help you see how moral you're supposed to be. Connor, I can't believe you're, you're doing. And we can't see for the life of us clearly. But we're sure we know we're right and they're wrong. Listen, I, I would rather use this as an example. I'll just go here. I don't care if you wear a hat to church. I don't care if you wear a t-shirt and jeans and shorts to church. Some people have a problem with that. I think they can get over it. Why? Because I would rather you come wearing whatever's comfortable on the outside and your heart be consecrated on the inside than you wearing something fashionable on the outside and your heart full of conceit and pride and arrogance and a religious spirit on the inside. That was one amen and I'll take it. Our judgments are wrong. We're trying to point out the sin and the, and, the, and the unrighteous behavior and the wrong in someone else's eye. And it's a little thing. It's not a big thing. But you're not the Holy Spirit. Your job isn't to convict. It's his job. And we're walking around with this hypocrisy where we're pretending like the problem is them. When the problem really is us. In hypocrisy, this word just simply means to wear a mask, like a play actor pretending to be someone they're not, where you put on a characterization to pretend to be a character that you aren't really. And God is saying, don't live that way. I, I do believe that judgmentalism and, and hypocrisy are definitely human issues, not just Christian issues, but they are seen and exaggerated and magnified in the church because we're the ones who are trying to hold to a standard of a life that says we're trying to live like Jesus. So, the, so what do we do? Stop living hypocritically and we're just like, yep, just do whatever you want. God will sort it out in the end. No, that's stupid. There's still a call to our lives to live holy before the Lord, to live honest before the Lord, to live with standards of righteousness. Friends, hypocrisy is not, is not corrected because we live without laws. Hypocrisy in our heart is corrected when we live with humble authenticity before God. We have to be authentic. We need to be integrous with our morality. We need to be people that, that when we miss it, we acknowledge that we miss it instead of hiding that we didn't miss it. That's authenticity. It's not that we have to be perfect. Holiness is not perfection. It's progress in the image of God. Holiness is God's righteousness covering and taking the place of our failures. Holiness is us separating and choosing to be transparent about our life. In the book, Unchristian, Dave Kinnaman says this quote when talking about hypocrisy. He says this. He says, transparency disarms an image is everything generation. Where you are posturing and trying to control an image about your life. That's what will cause us to live with hypocrisy instead of honesty. That's what will cause us to live with humility let me ask you a question when someone points out something that you're not doing right maybe on the job has nothing to do with morality it just has to do with job performance do you get defensive or do you repent do you try to deny that's not really well it was actually somebody else's fault and it was really them and this and that and or, or do you be like you know what yeah I missed that I'm sorry is, is there any advice on how I can make that better? That just disarms some things, doesn't it? In our political landscape, if people would quit trying to posture their own image and actually admit when they did something wrong, boy, wouldn't that help? So instead, we just kind of posture and peacock out our feathers and pretend like it never really happened. Why do we come to the table of the Lord every Sunday? Because every Sunday we come to the table of the Lord to take off our masks. And we're like, yep, nope. God, I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. I'm not trying to pretend something. I'm trying to become someone more like Jesus and less like me.
I'm trying to move in his way. I need to receive his righteousness. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We don't use all of these outward judgments of looking at somebody else's life to sit on a moral high horse and point out what other people are doing wrong rather than taking a deep look at our own heart. We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, it's here first. We deal with the log in our own eye so that then we can have authentic conversations with somebody who we want to see help grow in the ways and the image of God. So you might be sitting there saying, well, what a, Pastor, what, a, what about uh, this? How do we do this? Like, I mean, how, how do we live in a world that we look around and we're like, this is morally bankrupt. This is wrong. This is evil. This isn't good. We shouldn't be thinking this way. We're doing it wrong. How do I live when people are not living like God and we need them to live like God? Pastor, I thought we were supposed to live with boldness and not be sissies for Jesus. I thought we were supposed to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I thought we were supposed to wage war and take it to the enemy and defend the faith and, 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 and let people know that they're wrong. How are they going to know that they're wrong if I don't tell them? Aren't we supposed to let our light shine, Pastor? Yes, but your light is not a spotlight of awareness. It's a light of a life consecrated being burned and lit aflame by the Spirit of God in your life that he empowers you to live a contrasting life, not a life confronting the world sin but dealing with your sin letting the spirit burn brighter in your life so that you can be a living example of holy and righteous and love and forgiveness and authenticity so that they may see your good works not your moral words that they may see your good works not be convinced by your superior arguments that they may see your good deeds and then glorify God So what do we do? We live a life differently. We don't try to create awareness for other people of their sin. We live a life that draws them closer to want to know, how is it you have peace in your world? We, we, we don't yell at the world with bullhorns and signs and social posts, but we choose to have daily priorities and a sacrificial way of living that loves our neighbor more than we loves ourselves in a way that instead of yelling at the world that sex outside of marriage is wrong, we live out a flourishing example of a vibrant marriage today. I deal with my marriage so it's a living example of love for God so that people around the the world would be like actually that looks pretty cool I want to do that we, we, we clothe the naked and we feed the hungry. We look at our neighbors who aren't working right now and instead of publicly criticizing people for giving government assistance, we look at them and say, instead of criticizing you for being lazy and telling my neighbors about how lazy you are and how you need to get off your butt and get a job and you need to do this and you need to do that and I'm making judgments about you in your life, I'm going to show up and ask you, hey, how can I help you in some way? Can I, do you not have clothes for a job? interview let me go buy you some clothes for a job have you never written up a, a, a resume before let me help you with that let me and rather than helping them make progress in their life we don't sit back and say yeah I really wish they'd get their life together we make action and good deeds of contrasting that they may see our father in heaven and glorify him we don't sit in our seats of like yeah, they really got to get this together I can't believe their life we give school supplies to kids as a church that I may never know their name and they may never know my name and I'm perfectly okay with that. Why? Because we want them to know that they're loved by God. Well, I don't think we should be supporting the school systems because they're not making good decisions and they've got leadership problems and, and they're just all this. I don't think we should do that. Well, I'm not gonna withhold the goodness of God from somebody until they start acting like God. That's ridiculous. I'm not called to manipulate and control people. I'm called to love God and be a contrasting light pointing people to Jesus, not pointing out their failures. 
So, so the question is, well, well what do we do? What, what if people around us aren't doing right? Aren't, aren't we supposed to confront people in their sin? No, Jesus is. We don't confront the unbeliever. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it's utter foolishness the way we live our life. People who don't follow God, who eyes have not been opened by the Spirit to see the truth, are darkened with their eyes blind. Telling someone how dark their eyes are doesn't help them see. We're not called to point out how morally bankrupt the world and people are. We're called not to be morally bankrupt ourselves and to live a contrasting life. We don't confront the unbeliever. We live a contrasting life. Friends, there may come a time where you could have a conversation, but, but here, here's where I would begin to address incorrect life in someone else. If I have the authority to change it in them, or I have a relationship with them that we could sit and talk and grow together over coffee, then I'm going to confront sin in someone's life. But if those two things aren't true, I'm not going to grab my bullhorn or social post and talk about how morally reprehensible they are. I'm just going to live a holy life that honors God instead. I'm going to let my actions speak louder because I'm not called to criticize and condemn and judge them. I'm called to live before my righteous judge with his righteousness in my life. See, see, the right way to judge, the proper way to judge, is just crino, not crema. Crino, to decide. Crema, to decide with judgment and condemnation. That's not what we want. We want to decide. So what do we do? We, we look at their life and we, we contrast their life. But if we contrast their life with a heart of self-righteousness, it only leads us to comparison. When we start comparing our life to their life, our righteousness to their, our morality to their morality, when we start comparing the morality of the Bible to their morality, you know what we've done? It, it leads us in comparison to do one of two things. It either leads us to conceited arrogance or it leads us to feeling condemned about our own life. That's what comparison does. There's only two choices in your comparison. It either makes me feel morally superior or it leads me to feel condemned about my own life and I feel insignificant and insecure. Contrast with the right heart though, with a heart that says, God, I wanna honor you with all of my life. I, and I need to make a decision. Is this the right thing to do or is this the wrong thing to do? I need to make a personal decision. See, when we contrast to make a decision for a, a right judgment, when we're trying to make the right decision, we should be able to look and examine the fruit and situations and lives and it should lead us to a conviction personally around the word of God that causes us to live it out differently. More than pointing it out, we live it out. He calls us to be this living example. And when, when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls to the swine, don't take the treasures of what you know to be true about God and his righteousness and his truth and his holiness and throw it to people who don't even like, you would never give your pearls to a pig. They don't know what to do with it. Jesus says, don't take what is holy and try to manufacture it or make it happen on somebody who's unholy. S several months ago, we, uh, it was on Mother's Day, we talked about how as a church, we are for life. For, for life. From the womb to the tomb, we're for life. It shapes who we are. We look to the word and we conform it to our lives, not to what do we think about it, how do we think it should be, whose rights it should be above someone else's rights. It's and, and, and after that Sunday, we recorded a video and we sent it out to our church via text message and email. Expounding a little more fully about the complexities of the moment. It was right after there was a leak about the potential change of Roe v. Wade. And everybody was up in arms and things and people were chatting and chanting and riots and things. 
believers were like, let's go to action. Let's go. This is the time. Let's. It's always been the time. We always need to be serving and holding the truth, but we need to live the truth instead of shouting truth, expecting someone else to hold to a truth that they have no context for. We don't throw pearls before swine. People who we have a relationship with, let's have a conversation. Absolutely. Let's let our lives live different. Absolutely. And we recorded this video because as a pastor, I, I want to help our church. Every Sunday you show up and invite me and our team and our church to speak life to you through the scriptures and help us as a community navigate our world together, living according to the scriptures. That's what we're doing. And we shared this video. You know what we didn't do with that video? We didn't make it public for anyone in the world to see. If you didn't have the link sent directly to it, you didn't see it. I'm not trying to tell the world how to think. I'm trying to show the world how to live for Jesus and what a transformed life looks like. But amongst the people of God, there's some things that we shared to help us navigate it well together. Why? I'm not trying to convince a world with my words and arguments and definitely not by pointing out how immoral they are, how immoral it is to murder a baby. I'm not here to do that. But I, I am here to live a life that honors Jesus in a whole new way. I am here trying to cultivate relationships with people that allow me to have conversations and in the course of our conversation invite Jesus and they could ask me questions about my life and I can share with them the response of what it means to follow Jesus. You want people to walk in truth? Start being a light for the truth. And I love that the people of God have done this on this specific subject alone. In, in, in Texas alone for, what is it, like every, every one abortion clinic, there are nine pregnancy centers run and sponsored and funded by church people. We're already doing this as the people of God. We're gonna to continue to do these kinds of things as the people of God. But what we're not gonna do is sit in a seat of superior judgment, condemning and sentencing other people to try to get them to act like Jesus when they don't even think Jesus is real. It's my life that lets them know that he's real. And then that relationship can help them follow after him too. So what do we do? what Jesus told us to do. We don't waste our time. Holy things amongst all holy people, you know what we do? We ask, we seek, and we knock. That's what we do. We ask the Lord to change our hearts. We seek God. God, would you show me what's in my way? Show me where I'm judging people in a way that is condemning and unholy. Lord, would you open the door and I'm going to knock and may I have a relationship with you, God, that is flourishing, that is vibrant, that is alive. God, I'm going to you and I'm asking you that you would soften people's hearts, awaken them, Holy Spirit. God, would you seek them out in the nighttime? Would you help bring their awareness to you? Would you help them hear the knocking on the door of their heart where you are trying to draw them closer to you. God, would you do that? Would you do that? We keep asking. We keep seeking. We keep knocking. We don't keep confronting, but we keep asking God. We keep seeking God. We keep confronting. We don't keep pointing out there uh, with criticism and condemnation. No, we keep asking God. We keep seeking God and we keep knocking, asking the Lord to help us embrace a life of relationship with him that changes us first. This is, this, is, this is where the Apostle Paul was. This is where the Apostle Paul was. Philippians chapter three. He says, I was so zealous. So zealous, passionate. Probably had a lot of yard signs, big banners, bumper stickers, t-shirts. Went on rants online. Started questions with perfect strangers, trying to convince them of something that they didn't even have a context for. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. I did damage to the people of God. Because I was, 
I was blinded, couldn't see. And as for righteousness, oh, I obeyed the law without fault, he says. I was morally right. I was morally superior to the people around me. He says, but you know what? I once thought all those arguments, all that zealous, all that right living, being perfect, I once thought those things were so valuable. But now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done in me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. That's how I was made right. Not by being perfect, not by pointing out people's imperfections, but by embracing God. We keep asking and we keep seeking. We keep going to God in prayer. Why? Because God wants to give you the life. He wants to give you a life that flourishes. But you know what the gift that God wants to give you is? It's not more money. It's not more things. It's not your political agenda. It's not the promotion at work. That's not what God is trying to say he wants to give you. You know what God wants to give you? He wants to give you himself. And often our eyes are blinded and we're so consumed with things in our lives, trying to live morally right or morally superior to other people and try to live out these agendas to try to get things going on because it's our job to fix people. No, it's not. It's God's job. And and, and this is what happens. Dara, would you come up? Would you grab this? Grab it, wrap around and stand right there. Face me, face me, would you? This is, this, is, this is what's happening. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've got all of these things in my hand. I've got my own self-righteousness that I've been blinded. I've got my zealous. I've got my intellect. I've got my arguments. I've got my life. I've got all the things that are so important to me. Everything, my, my religion, my life, all of it. It's so important. But see, God is trying to come to us and he's coming to, he wants to give us the good gift. He's a good father and wants to give goodness. He wants to come and have a relationship. But all of these things that we hold on to and all of our possessions, all of our thoughts, all of our priorities, all of our assumptions, all right here are holding us and we're holding on to them for dear life. And Paul says, you know what? All of those things that looked really good, that looked really right, that looked like it was good, all my church attendance, all my Bible study, all my right living, all of my dressing up to go to church, all of my arguments, all of my street evangelism and, and social posts and yard signs and telling people that they're wrong, all of that I counted as absolute garbage. And when I did, I could be embraced by God and be embraced by Him where I could actually experience the love of God. Thank you, Dee. Would you stand with me? This is what we're after. This is what God is after. God is after you being embraced by Him into a life-giving relationship with Him where you're healed, where you're made whole, where you're set right, where He gives you His righteousness. Not where you're trying to fix all the other problems and all the other people. Are there problems? Yeah, a ton of them. But you're not the king and you're not the judge. Jesus is. And so when we embrace God, we embrace a life of His righteousness. We embrace a life of His wholeness. We embrace a life that gives us the strength to admit when we screw it up instead of hypocritically hiding behind it. Defensive. Ah, We can embrace that too. And that's where we meet God. Would you bow your heads just for a minute? Would you go ahead and open your communion too? You might have to open your eyes to do that. Sorry, I told you in the wrong order. Just get your communion out. Get it ready and in your hands. Jesus, we need you. Lord, I pray that today what we've heard, Lord, would would do a work in our hearts. God, if there are things that were said or uttered that weren't of you, would you just 
Help them fall out of our memory and our ears. Lord, we want, we want to live a life that honors you. We want to be those lights. We just don't want to be the wrong kind of light. God, we want to be people who make good decisions and distinguish how we should live our lives that should lead us to a place of conviction, not to where we feel condemned or we live conceited. God, we want to live like you. We want to embrace you and be embraced by you. So Lord, where we've been shouting at people who we have no relationship with, would you help us, oh God, to stop? God, where we've been silent because we haven't had a conversation with somebody that we love, would you open the door for that conversation? Jesus, would you do a work in our heart? Lord, your body was broken for us. Lord, our world is broken. We're broken. And sometimes, God, we pretend that we're not. And so, Lord, as we take the bread and we take the juice, we choose to take off our masks and really be embraced by you today. And would your body bring healing and the juice, which represents your blood, bring forgiveness and restoration. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. And now the juice. Lord, I pray for your people today. Lord, where we've been criticizing and critical and slanderous, would you help us to just shh? God, where we've lived in a way where we've kind of thrown out all of your law and we've thrown out all of your agreements and we've thrown out all of your standards because we don't want to appear morally superior. Lord, would you correct us so that we pursue you with holy living? And Lord, I pray that today you would keep our hearts postured in a way in prayer where we ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock. And it wouldn't be about you changing someone else nearly as much as it would be about you embracing us. We thank you for it. May you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. And would you lift up your countenance towards us and give us your peace. We pray this in the name of the Father and Son and Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.